2021 um, edition of the Draft Champions podcast. We've got two very special guests here today. Um, continuing our theme of Champions Week, um, we have um, Phil Dusso and Toby of Backflip uh, Crazy. I don't know if you usually use your last name on podcast, but it's Toby G and Phil Dusso. Um, and the reason I'm having both of them on in Champions Week, not only did they win the main event league, they won. They have, they have the trifecta. They won three, which was very impressive. I'll stop sucking up. So, how you guys doing? That's all right. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not because I was also a participant in these events, so I'm, I'm being nice. A little known fact: my last name uh, is Gavon, and Gavon's in uh, in Montreal area. Thank you. How's your French yeah. though? Uh, no, no French. No French. A little, little bit of Spanish, a little bit of Spanish, a little bit of Spanish, a little bit of Italian. That's about it. All, all yeah, we, got, we got, we got, a, we got, sort of like a six, de- six degrees of separation here. We got um, French, French, uh, French lineage. Someone in Montreal, and then I'm also from Canada. I had to take French um, up until grade nine, and then I just ditched it. So I'm not. My French is not good. But yeah, in high school, it's I think it's, it's mandated in Ontario to take it at least till grade nine. So great. Um, Great. Being being multilingual is a is a beautiful thing. We need uh, more. I'm not, but <laughs> um, so um, thanks again for coming. Um, I guess maybe we'll um, just uh, let everyone know where they we can, where they can find you guys on Twitter and what you're up to. So Phil, um, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Phil Dusso, uh D U S S A U L T twenty seven. Um, and that's pretty much all I do. I don't have a website or anything like that. I just post some stuff uh, once in a while on Twitter and do a few other podcasts uh, once in a while. Sweet. Toby, I think. Um, yeah, you can reach me at BatFlipCrazy on Twitter. That is the primary place to reach me. I do have a website that has not been updated in a long time, BatFlipCrazy.com, and also a YouTube channel if you want to check that out. But mostly right now, it's just uh, the bench with but or, or Bubba and the Batflip podcasts. Uh, I do a podcast, Batflip Crazy Fantasy Baseball, mostly with uh, Bubba. Um, and you can find those both on my YouTube uh, page and then on any place where you can find podcasts. Sweet. So, um, what's your guys' portfolio going to look like this year? Um, with, um, I guess, the NFBC, I'm assuming you play predominantly there. Uh, I'll just let you guys know I'm already on my done my fifth draft champions league we did we did we did a couple early that are just sort of standalone leagues with like a couple of the the usual suspects but i've done uh yeah now two on the nfbc that are part of the overall what what, what's uh what's sort of your strategy in terms of your um i know you guys did both the mains and the dcs uh what's your plan uh um phil um for now my plan is probably to do two or three mains um one of the higher money probably 1500 rotor wire and then I usually, for the DCs, I'll, I'll usually only do the $1,000 DCs. Um, and then maybe if I can somehow make it to New York, maybe a super auction or another type of standalone. And then probably a bunch of best balls. But my max is probably four fab leagues and then two or three DCs for a set lineups. Otherwise, I just don't have time. So um, Yeah, the fab leagues are, are tough to, to manage. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like the new best balls where I can just draft and not deal with it during the year. So I'll, I'll probably do as many of those as I can uh, this year on the NFBC. 
Yeah, I've, I'm 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 signed up for one of them. That I, like I think it's there's three people that are that have joined so far. I'm going to get into it, but just a little. I've never done best ball before, so it's a little yeah. bit of a different beast. But I'm going to have to do some do some research before I really get into it. Toby, what about yourself? Yeah, I think probably something similar to Phil with the mains. I think like two or three. Um, probably leaning towards three. I'll try to keep myself out of that. Out of, out of more and more of them. Um, and then I'll probably do, I think I'm going to do two of the high stakes ones, maybe two supers, something like that. And then, um, maybe I'm trying to decide whether to do 12 teamers. Um, I enjoy 12 teamers somewhat, but it really is, it really doesn't get as much attention as I should give them. And it's also really challenging to go from 15 team fab to Mm -hmm. 12 team fab. I find that really hard to navigate. So I may do like one OC just for the heck of it. Um, and then I'll do a bunch of, I'll do a bunch of DCs, probably like 10 DCs or something like that. And then I have a couple home leagues and dynasty league. Um, and then the barf league, um, which is kind of like, a uh, industry league for the Bay area that Justin Mason, um, and right. a bunch of other folks are in. So yeah, I do a, but I normally do like 10 fab leagues, which is pretty it's pretty substantial and pretty brutal but i invest so much time and energy in fantasy baseball i feel like i have to maximize my whatever investment or something like that yeah it's all it's economies of scale right less incremental work the more leagues you you get into um you'd you'd hope so yeah yeah i guess it's uh yeah true this is i believe my sixth episode where i've had this so-called i'm calling it champions week i've had um rob diapietro uh which i believe phil you were just on his podcast i've had him on and i, I listened to that and that was a great, like i said it was a great episode it's um, a great great pod yeah and uh he was he was a draft champions overall winner and then i had the tgfbi winner kevin hastings and i had the main event winner um uh, Jim Tomney on um, amongst um, and then uh, we had uh, also um, Drew Morris of uh, Common Sense Fantasy Baseball he won our Battle of the Podcast League so this is now like the sixth episode of uh, of the Champs League and Toby you finished uh, I believe second in that league so it wasn't almost, sa- I knew it was like second or third it was very tight there but Drew kind of ran away with that one yeah you and actually you and Mike Curlin tied for second I believe okay yeah, in that in that league, so you did you did you did uh, you did have a good finish there too. So what we what we what, what how I usually start off is just going through the main the well I guess in this case the main events, but in this case it's sort of a unique situation because you guys won three different leagues. So I don't even, I don't even know what to do. <laughs> so <laughs> so I don't know if you want to go through one or you want to just go through it, it all. I'll leave it up to you, and maybe we'll start with Phil because um, I already I, we did a we did a podcast already. And we talked about the main event that I was in, and I so happened to be in a main event with Phil, and Phil smoked us in. Um, but I, I, I was sort of, uh, I don't know if you, I don't know, if, I don't know how you took it, but I was sort of saying like you did a, you did a terrible job drafting, but you did a great job in Fab. And I, I'm not, I'm not saying you did a terrible job drafting. I'm just saying you sort of got unlucky with some of the picks that that um, that that you that you that you made, right? Like you had you had Yellick and Baez. Like that's not that's not you doing anything wrong. I think ever, anyone would have taken those players. So um, I'll give you a chance to defend yourself. So I did six mains this year. Um, my general strategy for all my mains was was to go pitching heavy. Um, when I started posting my mains on Twitter one at a time, everyone thought I was a bit crazy. I was usually by around nine or ten, I had uh, four starters and three closers in pretty much all my leagues, maybe mm-hmm. one exception. Um, and everyone sort of thought I was nuts going two pitcher heavy. But in a short season, I found that um, the pitching stats usually stabilized quicker. So I thought it made sense to go pitching heavy earlier. 
Um, so that's sort of the general theme. And I wanted to avoid dealing with closers, closers on fab. So that's why I figured I'll, I'll get three guys early and then I can deal with the hitting later. Um, in our draft, I listened to your pod when you, going, you were going through, uh, through my draft. And there, well, there's one thing. It's when you go pick by pick and you say hit or miss, it looks bad. Um, but like you're starting set nine pitchers and 14 hitters. So every time you hit on a pitcher, it's worth like one and a half hitter. Um, so it looked bad with Yelich, Baez, and um, Ryan Braun, Danny Santana, a bunch of hitters I missed on. But my pitchers were Giolito, Maeda, Carrasco, Wheeler, Gosman, and then I had Jansen, and I picked up Rosenthal before the season started. So I had yeah. seven. Looked at the on the Roswell Player Raider, I had seven of the top 55 pitchers. Um, so usually, like an average team would have seven in the, about the top like 105. I had seven in the top 55. So um, well, when you when you go pick by pick, it looks bad, but um, th- those pitchers carried me. I think I had 73 pitching points out of 75 in that league. So, um, <laughs> and I think I was pretty much first of all, all the main event teams in pitching, or at least like top two or three in the, in pitching points. So um, those seven pitchers carried me. So yeah, the draft didn't look great, but if you account for those pitching. <laughs> picks to be worth more um it wasn't as bad um and then the hitting as you said i was um streaming hitters on fab um that's sort of my go-to strategy when when i miss on the hitters i think it's one thing i'm really good at so yeah. it's not ideal i mean i'd rather i mean i'd rather santana and braun be good picks but if they're not then i have my backup plan is just to stream hitters and, and find uh, find guys like that yeah, I think that that's that's that that's going to hit on one of the questions I have later when we go through like in general strategy. But that's interesting to hear you say that it's uh, the 1.5 number, the, the sort of the, the ratioing um, a pitcher to a hitter. That's interesting. Yeah, that's I mean, it's it's interesting to hear. They're worth the same. You just have fewer pitchers. So um, if you're going hitter, miss like if you look at Carrasco and Wheeler, both really good, uh, re- both really good picks. You need three hitters to make up for those two good picks. So um, yeah, you you sort of just said well. Here, here's your analysis. Shove it up your ass. And uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But I'm no, saying. But I, I know what you mean. I was going through it. it I'm like, wait, how, how am I doing? Because my hitting was still above average. So I'm like, how did I get above average hitting with Yelich Baez? Machado was my one good hitter in my early picks. But I think of my top, I think I had maybe six or seven hitters in my top 15 picks. And I probably hung on to one of them, which was Machado. So, well, I, I had Yelich and Baez, but sorry, I hung on to those, but they were bad. So, um, right. I had one real hit, and then the other ones were bad, and then like a bunch of guys for picks, like round ten through fifteen, I probably dropped dropped everyone in there. So um, yeah, it, yeah. The, the draft itself didn't look good, but um, yeah, I guess you just look at one like pick by pick, and in a vacuum, each each pick in a vacuum, you can you can look at other teams and like oh they they hit on Plezak and and all these like all these like Knight and and Trent Grisham and Kyle Lewis or whatever, right? All these yeah. like set all these sexy late picks, but. Really, um, what, you, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And noted, you you dropped Gos- like looking at the draft itself, you dropped Gosman after like the first week, and then you picked him back up. Yeah, I was really on Gosman, but his first game, um, he pitched like three innings as a follower, I think. And I'm like, oh no, he's gonna get get Kaplard all year long. And then mm-hmm. week two, he had a normal start. I think he went five innings. So then at that point, I'm, okay, he's gonna be a regular start. I have to get him back. So I think I bid, I overbid on probably 80 or 90. Um, yeah. I, I was really high on him. It, I, 
to the Kapler thing. I, I thought it would last all year, but um, as soon as I saw it was the regular start, I just picked them back up and it worked out. Well, no, I, I, I um, when I was talking about your team, I was more, uh, I would more want to convey how impressed I was with what you did with your team rather than trying to say that you did a, uh, a poor job drafting. You know what I mean? No, no, I don't. Everything you said, it made sense. Um, I wasn't upset or anything. It's it just, um, it, I mean, it made sense. I look at the draft myself. And I'm like, wait, how did I win with this? But then when I break it down, look at the picture, I'm like, oh, well, these pitches were really good. Yeah, it's like it was more meant to be like, oh, imagine if Baez and Yellick weren't the first two picks. Just, yeah. didn't, it just the, the the cards didn't fall that way. Imagine what what, what could have happened. It could have been, it yeah. could have been, could have been like um, an overall win. Yeah, I, I actually I don't know what the team would have worked out. I, I was picking second in that league, and I wanted Cole, but he he went first in that league. It was one of the few mains where um, he, went he went first. So I probably I don't know how it would have worked out because everything else would have been different if I get Cole instead of Yelich and I don't get as many of those pitchers as, as I got in this league. It would have yeah. been a completely different team. So I don't know how it would have worked out, but um, it it worked out pretty well. Well, again, good job. Uh, Toby, um, why don't you take us through one of your um, one of your mains or, or all of them? Or the floor is yours. Sweet. All right, you guys got 30 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, just a couple of things on what Phil said because every time I hear Phil talk, I always learn things. Um, I wasn't like the pod that you had with Rob was great as well. But I love how you said like you know hitting on a starting pitcher is worth 1.5 times the hitters because there's you only have the nine pitchers and you have the 14 hitters. I think it's something similar like with with pitchers in general, because like, you know, in hitting, we only have one ratio category that's impacted by 14 players. And then in pitching, we have two ratio categories, right? With ERA and whip that are impacted by just nine pitchers. And so starting pitchers can have so much of an impact on, you know, your, your ratios. And I don't know if that's something that like Phil also thinks about as he thinks about getting all those starting pitchers, but with a lot of my drafts, I have like the pocket aces strategy or whatever. So I start off with two starting pitchers, generally speaking. Um, but I actually, I and, and it, the irony is that I was on a podcast while Phil was drafting and we couldn't see people's names. <laughs> and like, I think he drafted like six or seven, like five or six starting pitchers in the first eight rounds. And somebody was like, what do you think? And I was like, well, I mean, I think you can win with a lot of, different categories but for me that's too heavy on pitching and if you were to go to to the end of the season and ask me what did I do wrong I would say I didn't have enough starting pitching because I waited too long like I had the, the relatively elite starting pitchers but I didn't have the pitching depth and it was kind of like 2020 was a little bit 2019 on steroids like when it came to pitching because you have this truncated season where your ratios are even more volatile than they usually are because you don't have the full season to kind of equal it out and so it, as you stream starting pitchers, it's even more dangerous than it usually is. And I feel like I was thinking about that. And I actually used some of the research that Phil had developed about how starting pitchers stabilize earlier to really think about like, oh, man, I really need to target these starting pitchers earlier. But I think that that's something heading into to 2021 that I think is going to be really important, too, for me is it's not just about getting those two starting pitchers anymore. It's really about having that depth as well, as Phil mentioned, because I don't want to be streaming starting pitchers as much as possible. Like you have to do it at some point if you want to keep up, generally speaking. But if you're really relying on that streaming, like to get your volume in, then I think that's going to be uh, super challenging. So just wanted to touch on a couple of those pieces and apologize to Phil for saying he went too heavy on starting pitching early on. 
um, because really like during the season, that's what I was desperate for. Um, so for me, and then also just the fact that like, even though Baez and Yelich didn't hit last year, right, they were way worse than we thought they were going to be. The batting average is really where it hurt. Like they weren't great in the counting categories, but they still contributed a decent amount in terms of like stolen bases and, and runs and RBIs. Not what we wanted to see, but it's not like they sunk your season, if that makes sense. Um, although, you know, and clearly they did not fulfill. Um, but anyways, I just wanted to make those points because I thought what, what Phil said was um, was super good on those and just like how I'm, I'm trying to integrate some of the things that he mentioned into my planning. So for my, I did four main events. Um, the three that I won, like I had different starting pitchers for all of them. So I did pocket aces in all but one. Um, I did um, the first one I had Bieber, uh, I had Bieber and Scherzer. So I had one starting pitcher that hurt, hit pretty hard and then Scherzer who, you know, didn't hit. But again, like when you get those elite starting pitchers, the floor is a lot lower. The second one, I actually had DeGrom and Strasburg. And so I actually lost one of those two starting pitchers to begin with. But because I had DeGrom to really anchor that staff, I feel like you really only have to hit hard on one of those two aces that you get. And that's really what you're trying to do. And then similarly, like in, with my last team, which was my ended up being my, well, it was my second best team. But like I went Cole, um, I went Cole Marte. Real Muto, and then I picked Lance Lane with like pick 58 or something like that. And then I also pushed, uh, it was my last draft of the year, so I also wanted a little bit of Robbie Ray. So that's where I went wrong in that draft. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think where mine was weird because everybody's like, oh, you love starting pitching, you love pitching. Well, what ended up happening in, in all my drafts is I ended up dominating hitting. Um, you know, I had a, a bunch of Teoscar Hernandez, I had Dansby Swanson, I had you know, Brian Anderson, I had Eloy Jimenez, I had JT Realmuto, um, you know, and so, and, and um, I had Ozuna, I had Eddie Rosario, you know, and so I got, so I ended up actually getting around 70 points and hitting, and I think in all of my mains, and what I ended up doing with my pitching is, I think, different to what Phil took in terms of strategy is, he pushed up kind of the relievers and I always wait on relievers. So I always get one that's got like, I always get two that are solidly have the job, but I kind of get people in like the Melanson range or the column a range, or, you know, some of those guys, the Kinsler, I had, a, I had Kinsler on three of my four main event teams, I think. Hansel Robles. And, uh, I did not have any Hansel Robles cause he was too expensive. Like I'm not going to pay like no, no offense to anybody who did it because I really liked him and we didn't know he was going to lose three miles per hour in velocity. But like, you know, um, I didn't want to pay like pick 85 for him or whatever. Right. And so I think that's the one difference between myself and, and Phil in the way that we did this, as well as his like focus on on pitching earlier on. But I just got fortunate in that I hit on a lot of my hitters later on. And then similar to Phil, like with Fab, you know, I think if you look at his um, his spreadsheet of the teams that had the most plate appearances, I think one of my teams was in the top five. And then I think I had a couple other ones that were also in the top there. I think I had one that I ended up winning that I didn't have a bunch of plate appearances, but I just managed to kind of scramble it together. It was a super competitive league and nobody was super dominant. And so I think that kind of helped contribute to the fact that uh, I might be able to win. But um, yeah, so I think, you know, generally that's how it worked out for me is I had my one ace on each one of those teams that was absolutely dominant. I was able to cobble together enough saves um, throughout the course of the season, because I think what traditionally happens is, and it even happened this year too, it's like you have the beginning of the season, everybody's focused on saves, and there's these huge 
fab bidding wars for saves. And then everybody uses their fab. And then for the second half of the season, there's not as much competition. You have the guys who have already gotten their fab, who have already gotten their saves, or who have fabbed their saves already. And so they're less competitive in the save market. You have some people who are just no longer paying attention. And then you can get guys for cheap costs. So like Daniel Bard, I, I got him for like, you know, $5 when it, it wasn't clear whether he or Estevez was going to be the guy who got it, you know? And then towards the end of the season, you know, you just add a couple of these random closers that pop up and, you know, you string together like five to eight saves. And all you needed really to be competitive this year was like 20 to 25 saves. And it kind of gets you closer to what you need. And so, um, yeah, anyways, that's kind of how it worked out for me. It ended up being that my hitting was really, really good this year. Um, and then with pitching, I just made some bad choices. Honestly, like I had one, I had one team that finished, it was a top 10 team in overall offense. And I absolutely blew it. Like I had Cole, I had Lynn, obviously Lynn had the regression. Cole had the positive regression in his favor. But what I, what I messed up on is I started streaming guys that I usually wouldn't. I had like uh, Jordan Lyles. I had him in for two weeks when he absolutely blew the bet. Blew, I mean, blew the bet. I'm, I think I'm combining a couple. Shit the bed. Shit the bed. Shit the bed. Yeah. And then I also had Brandon Belak. I had Brandon Belak and Ooh. and um, Jordan Lyles give up 14 earned runs in two innings. I remember that Belak stuff. Um, yeah, I was on vacation too, which was really annoying. Was you know, you're on vacation and it's ruined by this. These starts. So I, you, you just have starts like that. And I think in an ideal world, if I had been thinking the way that Phil was thinking, which I think was absolutely spot on, I would have had more depth in starting pitching and maybe I wouldn't have had to go there. You know, mm-hmm. maybe I wouldn't have had to go to those guys and really ruin those ratios. Once I, once that, what happens is once that happens in your mind, you feel like, you, like you've already lost those ratios. And so then you're, you're less diligent about thinking about like, um, you know, do I, do I stream this guy or not? Well, my ratios are already shot, so I might as well put them in there. And then things just kind of get worse. And so um, I kind of blew that team. I think that team could have been a real contender, um, you know, at, at least top 10. I think when that happened, I was in the, I think I was like sixth or seventh in the overall when that happened. And I was always around like 20th overall or so, but you were top two at one point together. Yeah, I actually in in the first three days I was I had the number one and the number two team in the overall. Yeah, that was kind of, and I think kind of, I think people were kind of annoyed at me because I was posting about it and I was like, dude, I'm number one and number two in the overall. I don't know, I don't care how many teams anybody has. I'm like, or like how many days have passed at all? Of course I'm gonna post about that, man. Yeah. Like this is the game. We're supposed to be excited about it. Of course, so yeah. yeah, that was pretty that was a pretty sweet start to the year. I don't think I don't think I'd be able to resist from doing that. Um, yeah. But um, I've heard, Toby, and, and this is a question for both of you, I've heard you talk about um, joke slash be serious about a full house strategy this year. Now, my question on that is, I'm, I'm just being in a couple drafts already and looking at the landscape of these DCs, um, there's really um, a group of pitchers I'm comfortable with being my ace, and they seem to be gone like by the four or five turn in a, in a 15-team league. And like in that, like just to give you perspective, like around that time you're seeing like, like – Sonny Gray, uh, Corbin Burns, Lamette, even Zach Plezak, he's going like in the early fourth sometimes. By the end of the fourth, you're really like, you're done there. Like Lynn is gone probably, and you're, you're really out of options there. So how do you really put together, like, how would you go about a strategy where you're going to get like more than two pitchers this year? Because I guess maybe we want to, we want to have an extra focus on pitching. And I, and I guess the second part of that, or 
I guess part B of the question is who are there any pitchers that you, you feel comfortable that, that are sort of just the next step out of that tier? Joe Musgrove. <laughs> Joe Musgrove! <laughs> Joe Musgrove! Really? Totally. Joe, Joe Musgrove is like, he's got to be like this year's Dylan Bundy. Like he's like got all, every, all of the numbers make sense, but he just hasn't been, he hasn't put together that full season of just good, good statistics. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I just think Sinatobi likes him. I heard him on, on the, on the pod. I, I know he likes him. Um, I, I like him too. The only thing I don't like about him is the, the central that his stats were probably better than they should have been this year. Um, I heard, I heard you talk about that. Yeah. Um, for me, I mean, there's, four aces at the top I like and then after that I'm I don't know like I've I, I have preliminary rankings I haven't done any any drafts yet so I'm not totally familiar with ADP uh, but for me what I'm seeing um, the range from like after Giolito in the middle of the second round um, the guys in rounds two three four I'm probably not targeting um, they just seem to be up there because they had a good year they had 10 or 12 good starts but I think after that, there's a bunch of guys that you can get um, who didn't have the stats this year, but they could be there next year. Um, like Lynn, he had a good year, but for me, he's still, I don't know, around six, seven. Um, I think his round? price just went up of his good stats. Um, I mean, he's, still- he's, got it, he's got it in the second round in some of these early drafts. And these drafts I've done, you're all with like... Um- guys you would know that play on FBC industry guys. And they, this, these are all like good competition. He went in the second round actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, fact, I have, I'll say, I'll tell for you. For me, it's the guys, like all the guys we talked about, like this year I was, I was going after my Ada Carrasco, um, Lynn, I'll be looking for the guys in that tier rounds six, seven, eight, nine, that I think can be, um, can be the next, uh, Lynn Carrasco. Musgrove has gone as early as round eight in, yeah. in these drafts. Just generally. yeah, that, that's probably the range I'm I'm targeting. I'm targeting uh, Musgrove's one guy, sort of like Andrew Heaney too. Um, oh, don't do it, Phil. I was don't on Andrew it. Heaney last don't year. Don't do Andrew Heaney. <laughs> don't say it. <laughs> well, uh, and then and team. then around that range, I'm probably avoiding central pitchers. I think the the guys in the East and the West will be underrated. So I'll probably be getting the guys in the East and the West in round six through twelve. That. Um, I think can uh, can put up as good numbers as the central guys did this year. Um, okay, this is, that's a good that's a good comment to lead into this question here. Is um, Patrick Corbin one of those people? Because I don't think so. I think he's more of a name that's gonna like people are just gonna try and be, uh, bet on the bounce back. But I think he's just someone that I want to avoid. What are your thoughts on him? Just because you're saying you want to push up the East and yeah. push down the central. I, I have Corbin 44th in my ranking, so I'm probably not. Fine, going way earlier than that. Forty fourth among among uh, starting pitching. So uh, he's not going. He's going pretty late. Like one fifty, one fifty one ADP. So I'm still out at that price. I think he's. I think Corbin's on the trajectory of like a mad bum. Like I've, I actually looked at some of the tape that, uh, of him last year. He's just giving meatballs up. His, I know, like as you guys would be aware, his velocity was a lot was uh, diminished quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but just aside from that, just looking at the eye test, he did not look good. But I think some people are going to be back on him because of some of the reasons, uh, some of the general reasons that you guys were talking about. Toby, what are your yeah. thoughts? What are your thoughts on Corbin? Do you think that one? Uh, I'm not. I'm not super into Corbin. Um, I mean, it all depends on price. I mean, and that's I think one thing that I'm trying to be better at is I feel like 
you know, in my mind, sometimes I cancel guys out before I even dive in. And so I think I need to dive in a little bit more. I mean, at, at pick 150, you know, again, like the, the, he's the type of guy, right? Like where last year he was going around, like, I can't remember, pick pick 45 or something like that, yeah. right? And then we now have, like Phil mentioned, this very small sample size of, you know, 12 starts or whatever it is where he's done poorly. You know, he's not super old. He still has that slider. It's always been about the slider, right? And the difference is that at pick 45, if you miss on him, that's a huge hit. But if you miss at him on pick 151, it's a very different story, particularly recognizing what his upside and what his potential, you know, is in that respect. So, I mean, I would have to dive in and look a little bit more. I didn't anticipate that he would fall back that that much. Um, you know, to your earlier question about the full house strategy, I mean, I'm part, partly joking about it, but like also... I would love to leave drafts. I think this year with three starting pitchers out of the la out of out of my first four picks. Um, I actually think that that's um, you know something nice. But then I think when I talk about like the full house, I'm not talking about getting like really good guys after them, but I'm talking about that like pick 150 guy, right? Like I'm mm -hmm. talking about that Joe Musgrove, like a Tyler Molly, who I really like a lot. Um, me and Bubba do dove into John Means. I was super impressed with John Means once I actually had a chance to kind of dive in a little bit. There's some other factors there, right? He's in the AL East. He's in Camden. But like going after guys that I feel pretty confident are at least going to are going to like start for the rest of the year, you know, get like a four-ish ERA, like a one-two whip or something like that and give me a little bit of volume in Ks. Because like really once you've, once you have those aces, like you're always going to also have those guys that are picked 250 and below that are kind of dart throws and you throw five or six of them and you hope that one of those guys hits and can kind of move into there. But I think like being in a position where, you know, I kind of have five starting pitchers going into each week that I feel pretty confident having in there every single week and then just being able to maybe, you know, stream one or two or play a matchup on one and two and then have two or three of them be the relief pitchers. That I think is kind of what I want to, what I want to be looking at, like from right. a starting pitcher's perspective. I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious to, to hear Phil's thoughts on that. Like given it's a, a full season, it's not the shortened season. So there maybe isn't as much of a premium on, on pitching. Um, like, are you still planning to target Start off in such a heavy way or, or, or less? No, um, that a lot of that was short season stuff. Um, and also sort of the way it worked out last year. Um, I have the guys I talked about earlier. And then after that, like the next guy we, I liked was the the Gosman <laughs> half. Uh, Steven Matz didn't work out, but he was not here I liked. So I had like from rounds 10 through 18, um, there were no pitchers I liked at their price. So mm -hmm. it just worked out that way. If I want to balance roster, I have mm -hmm. to go early and late. Um, so, I mean, this year will probably be different. Um, it, usually the way I do it is I spot maybe 20, 25, 30 starting pitchers I like. And then I just focus on those, see where they go, and then just fill in the hitting from there. Um, I, I, I think there's so much... Um, there's so many more stats for starting pitchers that it's easier to find... Like if you dive into pitch mix, if you have formulas that do all this, but even if you do it just manually, you can find pitch mix, higher velo, you can find someone who in his last three, four starts, he increased his velo or ditched uh, his curveball or whatever. Um, you can find guys like that later. And then 
find 20 guys that you feel really good about and then just hope that they together that they beat their ADP and then just fill in the hitting from there. Um, so last day it turned out it was early pitching. Um, I always try to be somehow ba somewhat balanced, but next year will probably be different. I just find my, my 20 guys and then uh, so, go. So if you're saying your, your, your draft is a puzzle, uh, you're putting down your pitchers as the pieces first and you're, and you're, and you're filling out that puzzle with hitters second. Yeah. Uh, we'll start as closers and then, um, and then hitters last. That's interesting. That's, that's interesting. You know, I think, um, I think people will be interested to hear that. Um, I, I just, um, going sort of segueing onto the point that all you mentioned is 1.5 times a hitter and, 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 and Toby, you're trying to, you were also speaking about how the ratios are just so important. Um, before we got, before we were recording, I just wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about, um, some analysis I was just quickly did on the top 100 uh, performing teams uh, in the draft champions leagues in 2019 and 2020, the highest variance categories were stolen bases and saves and, Overall, team overall, the top 100 teams performed the poorest overall in those two categories, which I don't think would surprise a lot of people. However, on the flip side, the two most consistent with the least standard, with the lowest standard deviation, and um, the teams and um, had the best performance among those top 100 teams were in the hitting category, runs and RBIs, and in the pitching category, it was the ratios, um, ERA and WHIP. So that sort of goes. Um, it goes along with the point that, yeah, streaming the most at-bats, get, getting the most at-bats would be the highest correlated thing with runs and RBIs. Um, and then on the pitching stat, on the pitching side, um, haven't dug into it too much, but um, I'll give you guys the floor, and this is supposed to be a roundtable, but the, the ratios seem to be more prevalent in the top 100 teams. So any comments on that from, from either of you? I think it's really interesting, and I think as I think about like my DC strategy, I'm actually leaning kind of heavily towards that in the sense that like, I really think that's – in a DC, I think the challenge with a DC is obviously, like, you want to win the overall, you know, anytime you enter a competition like this. But your chances of winning the overall in, like, a whatever, 35 – however many teams there are is, is kind of slim, right? And so I almost feel like in DCs, what I want to be doing is just trying to win the league. And if I, if I happen to get lucky enough where I'm in a position to compete in the overall – then I really push for that. And so with that in mind, I think like, I think from a ratios perspective on pitching, going very heavy pitching early on, because I mean, we saw what happened last year. Like I had teams where I had a ton of pitchers, like 20 pitchers, but I couldn't even fill in my nine slots with healthy, healthy starting pitchers, right? Or healthy starting pitchers or relief pitchers. Um, and so I think really having like a really strong core to your pitching in the DC to anchor those ratios and then not punting stolen bases, but I think thinking about it as a standalone league a little bit more where maybe I'm not going to put as much emphasis on trying to get into the 80th percentile projection from like my starting roster, you know, but really, really kind of being like, okay, maybe it makes more sense to take some stolen base guys later on, some higher upside stolen base guys, you know, like a Jared Oliva or a Roman Quinn or somebody like that, that I can kind of move, move in and out of the lineup as you see fit to get my stolen bases, still be solid in it, but kind of kind of kick those a little bit to the side because I really think, again, like the plate appearances, just having good players in your DCs is enough to win them. And it's not a bad, uh, what is it? It's like a, it's a thousand bucks if you win, right? Is that I'm right? Not, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'd have to check that. I think it's a that like the the hundred fifty dollar ones that I yeah do. I, I believe you're right. It's, it's like a thousand bucks you win if you win it. So I mean it's still a, a a pretty nice return on investment. 
And so I think that's how I'm going to kind of go into the DCs now is trying to familiarize myself with the player pool, but, you know, kind of thinking about the research you just shared and just like my experience in DCs generally, like just not being as focused on those stolen bases, trying to get as many plate appearances as possible, um, and then locking in those ratios from a pitching perspective, I think will really be a major focus. And even not punting saves, but not being as focused on them, because the fact of the matter is you don't need as many saves to be good in a DC as you would in a regular league, because a lot of folks struggle with that, with the given the way that just the nature of relief pitching these days. Um, for DCs, I do my strategy differently. Um, usually, my I, I sort of work backwards. Um, I notice that after around 30 or so, you're going to get very few hitters with regular playing time. They're all platoon guys. Um, but you're going to get starters. Uh, you're like this year, I got Zach Plesak, Adam Wainwright, um, Kyle Freeland, um, Trent Thornton didn't work out. He was in that range. So I'll, you get guys who are going to start every five days. So, um, I sort of work backward from there. I know I can get started at that point. So I sort of go volume with starting pitching late. Um, I get my pocket aces early. Uh, or at least two in the first three rounds to sort of balance out the ratios from those uh, those late pitchers. Um, and then I get two close in the middle rounds. Um, and then so on my teams, I'll usually end up with about 28 starters and 21, 22 hitters. Um, my goal is basically just to go make sure I get hitters that play every day and then hope that I hit late on the starters. Um, like this year, please, I worked out basically like an ace. Um, and the DCs I do are, are the thousand dollar DCs. So I think like $50 of, of that goes to the overall, but you're really trying to win the league. The league is 8,000. So, um, I treat it basically standalone where if I don't hit on the late pitchers, I just play, I have so many that I play that I play for two starts and I basically punt ERA and whip if I have to. And then I know I'll have good hitting because I had 21 hitters in the first 25 rounds. Um, and then I'll have volume for, for pitching. So um, if I hit, then great. If not, then I my backup plan is just to, to punt ERA and whip and then just go for first, second, or third to at least get some money. So it's different than playing where the 150 where you're playing really playing for the overall. Um, not sure that would be the best strategy, but uh, the, the way I have done it, it, it's worked out pretty well. Right. The return on investment, like the payout, would be over yeah. over eighty percent um, within yeah, yeah. within like within your within your standalone league. Eight thousand for first and three thousand the one thousand. Okay, so you're already you're already over that. Yeah. Um, so um, looking at that, and um, we we spoke a little bit about this offline, like the, that little piece of research that I did. But I but I got to thinking. Um, okay, given the fact that saves and stolen bases are, uh, I guess, the most volatile um, amongst the top teams, and they are um, the the poorest performed in categories. Could you punt? Could you punt, say, saves and win an overall championship? So what I did was I looked at the teams. Um, started in 2019. Didn't really. I sort of ran out of time. Didn't get into 2020 that much. But there are there were some teams uh, that punted um, that that performed really really like poorly or or finished really low in stolen bases and, and saves. Um, one of them in particular. I'm just uh, looking at it. A 30 like there is obviously like 4,000, three four three or 4,000 teams in these leagues. And one of the teams with a, he finished 33rd overall and basically did, didn't draft any closers. He drafted uh, Jose Alvarado. Remember this was 2019 Alvarado in the 12th round and, and Trevor May in the 16th round. That was pretty much it. 
And uh, I, I think that we thought they were going to be the closers, though. That, that year? That year. Yeah. Alvarado? Yeah, potentially. Okay, potentially. But anyway. Alvar- Alvarado, for sure. May was in a battle with um, Yeah. Um, with Romo. No, not, no, that was pre-Romo. It must have been with Rogers. It must yeah, have it been. Was Rogers, yeah. It was Rogers then too. Yeah. Right. So anyway, in in hindsight, there wasn't he didn't get any closers, but he still ended up finishing. Uh, he finished very, very low in low down the ranks in, in saves, and ended, ended up almost basically within percentage points of, of finishing uh, co- coming in first in the overall. Like thirty third is really close, and like relatively when you look at the grand scheme of things. But he, he ended up hitting on um, Woodruff and Paddock. I looked at that team in, in a little bit of detail. Um, and you got Jordan Alvarez. So he, he had some really good – you got you to hit late, I guess. Um, you normally have to hit late, um, especially if you're going to be lacking in any way, in any shape, uh, any shape or form in the, in the beginning. Um, another team I looked at finished 11th overall um, in that 2019. This was a Jose Ramirez team. And Jose Ramirez, I think, like you, like you sort of touched on before, like a Yellick and Baez, like they're not going to kill – like they, they killed you in average. And I think they did, at least, at least for the first half or two-thirds of that season. Um, but he still did get you a lot of stolen bases and counting, counting stats. But what this team did was they drafted Hand, um, and that's it. They never looked at any other closers. So they, they did get the, the saves from Hand. And then they just really did really well um, and just crushed. And they actually crushed win. Like, they got a lot of starting pitchers, and they crushed wins and um, wins and, and Ks. Uh, finished right right near the top in those categories. And they almost won it all that way by having, like, half, like half-punting saves. Um, if I was to punt something, I'd probably punt stolen bases. Because uh, if you do, you can, be, you can be better in the, in the four other hitting categories. Um, mm-hmm. And when you have to beat 4,000 teams or whatever – um, when you look at your draft at the end of the year, you're not going to hit on your first 10 picks. So there's at least one pick where you're going to say, oh, that team would have been better if I drafted a closer there. Um, so there's, if, if your goal is to build a perfect team, um, using two picks in the first in round seven through 10 to draft closers, um, it's probably a more optimal way of, of building that perfect team. Um, cause you're always... I mean, if you hit on every pick in the first 10 rounds, um, you're going to be too good in hitting and pitching, and you're just going to have punted saves for, for pretty much no reason because you could have used one of those picks. So um, I could see maybe not going bases completely, but going for league average or below. Uh, but I think just getting at least those two closers, if they hit, great. Uh, you're in contention for the overall. If they don't, then you try for the league and punt saves that way. Uh, just going for, for the league win. I'm glad you said that because I, I've looked uh, and this is the last team I'll bring up. Um, I don't want to get, I don't want to get super granular on this, but um, I went, I went I'm looking at the top 100 in that 2019 year um, team that finished 97th overall finished very poorly in stolen bases, but still uh, won their league and, and finished uh, amazingly. That team started off, um, that team started off with um, uh, Verlander and Cole on the turn. Toby knows what I'm talking about, right? I think they, I don't know. I, if, I, I, don't know I, if, I don't know if you. I don't know if you. I don't know if you've clued in yet. Um, oh, but, is this my team? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's my team. Yeah, because I was gonna say I had Verlander Cole in one in one of my DCs. I thought I wasn't. I didn't think it finished that high. I didn't think yeah, it no, finished it 97. 97. I thought it was. Like I thought it was like 126 or something like that. No, this this was one in the top 100 because I was just what I was doing. I was looking at that the top 100 oh, and saying who could. 
to, to hit it. on Cole and Verlander and that on the turn, right? How did that how did that happen to you, man? But anyways, like I'm just to sort of finish my thought here, like you like I'm just looking at the teams that uh, finished really well, but but actually str- like struggled in one category. Uh, if not for that one category, would have finished obviously a lot higher, and that was that was stolen bases for this team. But you had Rendon, Bogarts, and then not in any order, Framing Reyes, um, Nelson Cruz, Will Myers. You took early um, Eddie Rosario, obviously. Um, so you just crushed the hitting categories in that league. But Will Myers big- sucked that year. <laughs> and you took him real early. I did. I took him. I had him on uh, three of my four big te- big teams in 2019 as well. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You know what? I have him listed with the good players. You repaid I, me this year though, so yeah. it's all right, Will. <laughs> so that that's so um, like it goes it goes to Phil's point that um yeah if you were gonna find a category find stolen bases you know what you guys maybe great great minds think alike. Well, yeah, because I think Phil's right on because the challenge is if you punt saves. You still have to keep your ratios super good with a higher volume of pitching to get really yeah. high in wins and Ks, and that's virtually impossible. I mean, you just have to get super lucky in terms of missing those bad starts that every like mediocre to bad pitcher has. So um, yeah, I have, I'm, I'm there with with um, with Phil about punting stolen bases versus that. And I think the thing is too, is it's like, it's not even necessarily like when you think about punting, you're actually like intentionally trying to, to do really poorly in them because you're focused on all those other things. It's one thing to do that. It's another thing to just, um, you know, kind of follow your evaluations a little bit more with less of an emphasis on making sure that you're, you know, whatever, pretty good in every single category, right? You can still get stolen bases and get a five or a six you know, in that category without necessarily jeopardizing the other, ca- other, other categories. So I think that's the one thing that's a little bit different than like a standalone league where you really don't care where you finish in, you know, you can finish one, like if you're implementing the strategy correctly and still win in an overall, like getting a, getting a one is really hard to do. Cause you have to be what, like probably 95th percentile in other things. Yeah. Um, because the guys who, who probably won it, I'm sure they finished 90th percentile across the board in every category in the, in the, I don't think so. Like this, this year, Rob, the Pietro, I'm pretty sure he didn't, um, finish that high in saves. I, I'm just looking at, um, like I have the spreadsheet up here, um, this year if you go to the top of it. Um, well, no, cause I think he, he hit on somebody who got a ton of saves at the end. He had Barnes. Yeah. He had about like nine saves the last month. He had um, Presley. He hit him Presley late this year, in like I think the 25th and, round. And Barnes, think yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was sure. about 75th percentile roughly in saves. Yeah, and so that's the thing, right? Is like he's 75th percentile in saves, which was probably his worst category, but he's like 90th plus in everything yeah. else. Oh, right? Yeah, he just crushed everything else. Yeah, and so that's that's the thing is like it's like if he had gotten like let's say if he had been 10th percentile, right? You take away whatever, there's 4,000 teams in a league, so there's 4,000 points for saves. You take away 3,000 points, over 3,000 points from his save total, right? And he's no longer winning, right? I'm, right. I'm assuming he's no longer winning. Oh, so, absolutely. oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, when I talked to him, I said, Ryan Presley, that, that pick won you the main event, uh, won you the, uh, the overall. Take one more minute to look at his team is one thing that stood out to me was the at-bats. And I'm looking at his at-bats, and it sticks out like a sore thumb um, 
um, versus the rest of that top 100 teams. He had very few at-bats, which is quite impressive that he won the league with that few of at-bats. And it shows in his runs, which aren't as – he's not as heavy at runs as he is in the rest of the offensive categories, but it's pretty impressive that he was able to do that. Um, I guess that, uh, that there is sort of a, a spillover effect in that he probably has – he did well on average because maybe he didn't have at-bats as many at-bats from poor players. Uh, so I think it's a give and a take there. But um, – yeah, I found I found that quite I find that kind of interesting. Yeah, and to go back to what we were talking about, he had uh, I think ninety three percent of the points. So um, yeah, you have to. I mean, if if you have to be at least probably seventy fifth percentile. If you're punting, you have to be at least seventieth percentile to to have a chance to win. So um, to win the overall. It, yeah, in the main it's different. Usually, I think the winner in the main is around between. I think 88 and 90. So you can be average in a category and, and make up with the other ones. But mm-hmm. uh, in, in a large GC with 4,200 teams, you have to be uh, well above average in all 10 categories to have a chance. Right. Yeah. And, and to my point about like roster construction, that's why like going into DCs this year, maybe I don't, don't focus on getting like, I think you need going into last year is like 123 stolen bases for a full season to be 80th percentile or something like that. Instead of trying to get like, you know, you net you can never get to that 80th percentile. Well, you can at least in in one category, but instead of getting at 120, shoot for like 90 or something like that, and then backfill it with some guys who can, if they get opportunities, get you those stolen bases. Yeah. So you're not necessarily, you know, going after like just as an example, because he hurt me this year was Victor Robles, right? You get like a Victor Robles where, well, actually he's he's a bad example, but like um, where you make decisions where you take worse hitters essentially be cut just strictly for the stolen bases, right? Um, so going after like a Tommy Pham instead of a um, instead of a Victor Robles or, you know, where you're losing maybe 50% of the stolen bases, 60% of the stolen bases, or at least you think you are from a projection standpoint, but you still get some of them. So anyways, right. that's that's kind of what I was I was alluding to. I'm assuming you want to have six, six or seven starters and two or three relievers. And then do you want to be finished that before like, when you still have like maybe three hitter spots left or do you want it when it's all said and done, do you really want to have your starting lineup filled for hitters first or pitchers first? Like, like when it comes back to like sort of the, the second half of your starting lineup, what, what do you like, what do you focus on more? Because I know you focus more on pitching to start like what, what, given what you've said already. For, for me in a main, um, the way I usually, this and it, it was different this year, but on normal year, the way I, I think I'm pretty good at streaming hitting, I'm probably going to target to have my last five or six picks to be hitters. Um, so I guess my last three starting spots uh, for hitting plus three bench spots will probably be hitters. So rounds 25, 30, 30 I'll probably be targeting hitters. Because um, whenever, like when you say you have your starters filled, you have seven. But when you're getting started from in rounds like 18, 19, 20, it's, there's probably a 50% chance that he, he's going to be useful. So if you really want to have five or six solid starters every week, say you're getting three or four early, you probably need five or six more um, before you can really feel comfortable. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to do a Steven Matz um, where he's unusable. Or you're going to get a Matt Boyd. Like you can feel good as, as you can feel as good as you want about the pitchers, but some of them aren't going to work out. Um, and on the waiver wire, they're really hard to find. Um, I mean, this year was different because there were a lot more injuries, but 
we all saw like those last four weeks, I was looking at the fab. There was maybe one guy every week that was usable. Um, everyone else was like, oh, I don't trust him. I don't trust him. I don't trust him. Oh, he, he's pretty good, but he's going to go three or four innings. Um, mm-hmm. So for, for, for a normal year, I think my, my plan is probably to, I guess, stream pitchers from within to have four or five on my bench and then play to start that way, um, play good matchups and um, get, get my six, seven good pitchers that way. Yeah. Toby, what, what does your bench look like? Yeah, I mean, generally, I think it depends on it depends on where guys are going, like where I see value, where I have guys that I really want to get. Generally, later on in drafts, like I I have guys that I'm really keen on, and so I'll have a lot of shares of them because I see something in them about how they're going to blow up. So like Teoscar is an example, right? He's going around pick two nine. I think he went around pick two ninety, two eighty in drafts. And so in that particular instance, it's like, okay, it's getting around that time where I want to get Teoscar or it's getting around that time when I want to get Spencer Turnbull or Austin Both, right? Who didn't necessarily work out, but you see something in 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 them that makes you feel like they can take that next step. Um, and then I actually like to fill out the back the last couple spots on guys that I feel like are going to be useful in the first couple weeks or who are part of a closer committee. So, like for instance, this year, and again, it didn't work out, but like. Um, uh, you know, maybe it was like a Dodger pitcher who I thought was going to get, like, I think um, before he got super popular, it was like Alex Wood, you know, where it's like you get Alex Wood and he's going up against, you know, the, the Giants in the first couple games or something like that. Um, I'm trying to think of a good of a good example of somebody that I did that with this year. But um, that's what I essentially did. Or to take like, maybe you have a closer by committee where there's one guy that people are really, really liking. And then there's another guy who maybe has a 10% chance to get the job, but you, you know, maybe might get the job. And I feel like I'm going to know in the first week or two, whether they have it, then throwing that guy in there as well, because look, you know, nine out of 10 times it doesn't hit, but the one time that it does hit, it can be incredibly valuable for you. Um, and so that's kind of how I like to fill out the very back end of it. Um, but generally speaking, like, um, you know, I'd say it's probably a four-three split, one way or the other, depending on who was available and 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 what I like about them and what the rest of my team looks like. Um, you know, and and there's so many different like variables, right? If I have multi-position eligibility guys on my existing team, then that makes it a little bit easier to not have as many hitters. Um, it also depends on like what the hitting matchups coming up are too, because similar to Phil, like I'll be looking like who's playing the Orioles, you know, this first week of the season or you know, and then what does the second week of the season look like then? Because there's always going to be a team or two that has two just really nice weeks from a schedule perspective to start off with. And so just kind of using my the end of my bench to fill in those guys, because like Phil mentioned, like you're not going to hit on on the vet, like 80, 90 percent of those guys. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to be useful, you know, past pick 300. And so the question is, like, you know, uh, taking those stabs on guys who could have value if something changes, maybe. They're in a position battle, you know, and if they get the job, they're going to be really valuable, whatever it is. So that's kind of the way that I approach my bench at this point in time a little bit. I definitely have my guys that I want to get later on. And then the rest of it is just kind of schedule based or strategic based on how the rest of my team looks. Right. And maybe um, maybe when you were trying to think of an example there, I was looking at Phil. I'm like, I bet you the the, the name that's going through his head is uh, Trevor Rosenthal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, I got him in in round thirty of my first main and second main. I I 
sort of was, I, I think I want to pitch this for the first three, starting pitches with three, first three days, so I didn't work out, but then I just, before the first, like the first fab that we got for, for those early mains, I picked them up right there. And then those last three or four mains I did, he started moving up to around 23, 24, 25. So I didn't get him there, but um, yeah. And then the year before in 19, I got Greg Holland in two of my leagues in round 30. Um, I, I think it was Archie Bradley was supposed to close there. Like, well, they didn't name him the closer. Holland is veteran. Mm-hmm. Round 30 pick, if it works out great, if not, he's a drop. So, and you know right away. He so. was good for the first. Uh, and he got, he got, he got 12 saves, I think, because I had him uh, two in last I, year, I had him in 19. 19, yeah. I, had, I had Holland everywhere. I was getting him before he even signed. I remember him and Colome were unsigned um, going into that year, and I was just grabbing Holland everywhere. It worked yeah. out. That, that, part of, that part worked out for me in 2019. Well, um, and, and I think that's the thing is a lot of times people will discount guys like Holland or like, you know, Rosenthal is probably not a great example because his skills have also always been pretty decent as long as he's healthy and throwing strikes. But, like, they'll always discount guys who maybe don't have the best skills or who have failed previously as closers. But, you know, oftentimes, you know, can find themselves in the job for exactly that reason. And even though their skills aren't great, like, look at Melanson this year, right? Like, he was the Braves' closer. He was announced. And I I knew his skills weren't great, but he's never been bad. If you look at, like, his his, his whip has been bad, but he's never had an ERA – you know, over 415. You look at Alex Colome, he's never had a ERA worse than like 325, I think, or something like that over the course of a full season. And so these guys who just like somehow just kind of manage. And the thing is, if they suck, then you just drop them, right? And especially in a 26-week season, you know, having a bu- having a total dud for one week sucks, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, um, that's... The, the Melanson sort of logic was what burned me this year. I took Craig Kimbrell because I figured, like, how much can you burn you in the short season? But I was wrong <laughs> um, because like, I figured those guys, like, maybe they don't have the skills that they used to, but or maybe ever for, for Melanson. But um, I figured that they, they'd at least have a leash for a bigger percentage of the season, which you know, just didn't have the case. Where, which, where is, where's Kimbrell going in, in drafts this year? 250, 275. So, the, so that's the exact type of person where, like, I'm going to have a bunch of Craig Kimbrell next year, you know, because it's like, did you see his last two weeks or three weeks of the season? Yeah. He was no, like, I, could, I, couldn't, I couldn't watch. He was absolutely <laughs> lights out. Like, he was yeah. unbelievably good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, yeah, he might suck, but at pick 275 for a guy who's going to be the closer heading into next year for them, like, I have no doubt in my mind. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. With that contract? Absolutely. I mean, Jeffress is... Jeffers isn't good. He's not, you know, he's not that's another guy I had a bunch of towards the end of the year. He's Jeffers was awful last year, but he somehow managed to be fine. You know. And they want to give Kimbrel the job. I mean, he, he like he had a long leash at the start, where he was walking four guys and then four guys in a row. So, and a lot of that stuff is probably the lack of spring training. A normal year when you're pitching five, ten innings in spring training, um, he works that stuff out. Um, this year he tried to work it out in game, and then he lost the job, but. Uh, in a normal year, I mean, like you said, usually if, if he's off, if he's hurt, you'll know in spring training. If he starts the year with a job, odds are he's, even if he's bad, it's going to be a 4, 4.5 ERA, and he's probably going to hang on to the job for a few months at least. 
So yeah, there's a there's a lot of guys like that that are, that I've noticed in these early DCs that like the closures, no one knows, so they're getting like you normally the ADP is kind of messed up right now because normally those guys would get pushed up into like the 150s, 160s, and now they're like honestly like there's like they're in the 300s, 400s. Like there's a couple guys that I really like that like even even um what's his name on the Nationals, um, Daniel Hudson, he's going like well past pick like 250 still, and he's right. like the closer. And you got Rainey at pick like I've got I've taken him at like pick three seventy five a couple times. So it just there's a lot of value, but it's just a matter of uh, just um, picking your shots of where you want to take your shots in these early DCs, and that's one of the advantages of drafting. So I think that, that answers my question. Unless you want to give another one, Kimbrel was a good answer to that. I'm just saying what what's who's one of, who's one of those guys that you can grab early that are going to pay quick, off. Quick question: What was Craig Kimbrel's K percentage over his last ten games last year? I saw your screen just light up, so you just looked it up, probably. Um, <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, so yeah, your face just lit up. You guys, I could tell you had a, like a different screen up. Uh, his K percentage, I would say uh, 38. Uh, I, I have no idea. <laughs> 50. Wow. <laughs> yeah. He had, a, he had close to a 40% K minus walk rate Yeah. Um, in his last 10 games last year. Wow. And what when like was that the last what four weeks? Um let, let me see. Let me see. Okay, From yeah. August, so basically it's August twenty third on. So yeah, it's the first three, four weeks. Usually you get three weeks of spring training and then one week where you might work things out the first week of the season. But like if you take away his first month, he's he he was great. That's the thing about this early season DCs is it's gonna be super interesting. I, I was kind of waiting until we had a little bit of ADP because I actually you know I actually prefer to have some information about like what ADP is because I feel like, you know, um, it's actually really helpful um, for me at least to just like identify because there are certain guys that I know I want. And yes, like I could draft them like much earlier to make sure that I got them, but I'd rather have a sense of like where the market is valuing them, mm-hmm. um, generally speaking. But like there's so many pretty good closures. Like there's um, – Mayors on on the Angels. I don't know where he's going in DCs early on. Two thirty uh, to three hundred. Um, yeah, like the, uh, yeah. Christian Christian on on the D backs. You know, like, in the two hundreds. Yep. Yeah. So it's just like there's all those guys that are like two hundred plus, and yeah, as as we know more about their situation, they'll obviously push up like t- as the season progresses. But you know, Kim Kimbrel has that on him now. Like he will not move out that high because people will be like. I'm not going to draft Craig Kimbrell here. Right? Right. Think about That's it as Craig Kimbrell. That's yeah, me. exactly. Right? So so let's say he goes around pick 150 come drafts, right? It's like, yeah. yes, please. The Cubs, the Cubs anointed closer who had a 40% walk rate over his last 10 games? Like, sure, like sign me <laughs> up because, you know, what, what, what's the difference between his likelihood of success Versus the guy that you draft at pick, you know, 90, right? Like what versus versus his chance at success, right? Like especially as a closer where we know that relief pitchers are super volatile because, you know, they, they don't pitch the same sample size as relief pitchers or starting pitchers do, right? So, so in a DC now, would you, would you think that would give you such an advantage because you can just hammer out your starting pitchers and hitters and then you can get like those guys you listed, like your Crichton, your, your, your Mike Myers and, and – um, like throw a couple throw a couple picks at the Kansas City bullpen throw a couple picks like at maybe another guy I'll just another guy I'm getting a lot really really late in like the the round 40s is AJ Minter 
in the in because he does I believe have some closing experience in, in getting him picked in the six hundreds. He was great last year, and um, I think Melanson he's not signed yet, right? And I know they've no. and they know they, well, I know they have Will Smith there, but um, still I think the, the just the value he's, he's basically more than free. So that's one of the guys I've been looking at. I'd be all over Chris uh, Chris Martin, Chris Martin in the Braves bullpen. Yeah. yeah, he was he was super good last year. Yeah, already signed to a substantial contract with them. I think he signed a two year deal last year. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean that that's the thing. Like, I'm gonna sign up for DC right after this podcast because I'm super <laughs> excited about like where I could draft Craig. Kim I want I want to stay in the next DC too, but I don't want to be with you. Um, <laughs> um, so like in looking at DC, he's talking about speaking of these late round guys, and we're, we're talking sort of talking about just throwing picks out late uh, for relievers. I'm going to give you two groups of players and tell me and Phil and Toby, tell me which group you're, you'd be more inclined to be um, looking at, say after pick like 450. Group one would be your, like your Tyler Duffy, AJ Minter, Matt Wisler, Matt Foster, Nick Whitgren, or group two, Tanner Roark, Cole Hamels, Jake Arrieta, Mad Bum, Jeff Samarja. I'm I'm all over. I, here. I know where he I know where he's <laughs> going. We're, we're okay. We're still going. I'm going group two, not because I necessarily like those guys, but I figure that one of the five is going to hit. And then, um, or like, like I said earlier, if I'm getting 20 pitchers late, I'm hoping three or four of them work out. Um, and I mean, this year, Adam Wainwright worked out. And when you think of like the definition of low upside, he was probably it. Um, but he, he really, so you just don't know which starters are going to work out. They figure a thing out things out they can get lucky with the ra they can so they can get lucky with wins so um that, that's why i'd go not not necessarily because they'll go those guys specifically but just in terms of um general strategy yeah wainwright Wayne, wainwright redefined upside this year yeah <laughs> you see anyone could do it tell me what about you what about you got to got to get the wins so i'd take group 1.5 a blend of both come on no, no, i'm just kidding i mean like if i had to choose one group or another i'd probably go with phil with the starters because i think like even like if you're getting mad bum super late like yes he was god awful last year but there's there it's not it's not that long ago that he was pretty good and his velo was down so much last year maybe maybe something was was going on but like but i think the challenge is right is is with the relievers, I'd rather have the relievers if it wasn't five guys. I think that's too many picks to put on that type of player. I think. Um, I'd say that, that type of reliever. Okay, maybe my question was more like not that you had to have five. I could I could have made it three in each group, but I'm just trying to give you a broader range of the type of pro- profile I'm I'm looking at. Right? If it was if it was just three of those guys, I would actually I might lean towards the relief. Oh, okay, so maybe maybe just the way I frame the question is a little bit um, yeah, misleading. Yeah, like which type of profile maybe, but yeah, I think yeah. it's also what is my what is like right. That's so true. Like, if I if I do have a strong emphasis on starting pitching early on in a DC, and let's say I do grab like three starting pitchers in the first four, and then I get a little bit of depth in the middle middleish rounds um, of some guys that I like, you know, Joe Musgrove, Tyler Molly, or something like that in the DC. You know, then maybe I don't feel as much of a need to get that bulk of um, of starter. Um, and I also think like those particular guys, I'm not quite sure that they're going to be in the actual starting rotation uh, next year. Um, you know, like if the if the Blue Jays want to be competitive uh, next year, if they want to be really good, I don't know I if Jenner so. Roark stays there, although he does oh, have a couple of okay. Um, 
But um, yeah, so I, like I would probably lean towards that because what I've probably done is focused on starting pitching early on, grabbed Craig, Craig Kimbrell and yeah, pitched 275. And then maybe I'm grabbing, you know, um, uh, maybe I'm grabbing one other guy that I think is going to be the closer. And then I'm grabbing, you know, three guys who I think might be able to eventually fall into that closer role. All right. All right. I got one more question for the both of you. Then I'm going to, then I'm going to put you on the spot, actually something off the board. But my final question is like roster construction um, on roster construction. And this is what I'm really interested in um, talking about because it, that's that's really the million dollar question. Like it's a vague term and it's really used a lot, but it's really not really dug into as much as I'd like to. Um, so in terms of that, like what's one skill that you have, um, one skill that you've um, honed over the years in terms of the constructing a roster that's 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 helped you um, that's helped you be successful. I know that's also a vague. It's also a, a vague question. Is this the putting us on the spot part? No, no, that's, no, that's not even this. This was in the agenda actually. This is the skill. Um, for for me, it's sort of what I talked about earlier: finding the the fifteen twenty starters I like, and then knowing that since I'm good at streaming hitting, if I miss out on on my guys, um, I can figure it out during the season. Right. Um, and then one one thing one thing I found um, is that the breakout guys that you're gonna get, say the Tiasca Hernandez, uh, the Luke Voigt, it's easier for, for a hitter to overperform in runs, home run, RBI, and average. It's pretty rare for someone to overperform in stolen bases. And I find that they're pretty hard to, to find um, in fab, um, at least they're harder than other categories. So um, I usually try to be um, stolen bases heavy in, in most of my drafts. Not, not too heavy, but usually... Uh, I might target 60th, 70th percentile in other categories and then go 80th or 90th in steals. Um, just because that the way, if, if my breakout guys work out, I, I know it's, um, it's usually in those other categories, um, not stolen bases. Right. And chasing stolen bases is the absolute yeah. worst feeling <laughs> in the world. You're just like, all my categories are just bleeding. You and- can't. I'm just, I'm just trying to get stolen bases here. When you start um, Simul Castro, isn't that bad? Um, it, you're, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I, I actually, I lost one league because I put too much emphasis on stolen bases this year. I was like chasing them so hard, I just forgot, and I had too many guys that were just stolen base guys, and I lost my lead in, in, in other categories, which was kind of a bonehead move. Um, you know, from a roster construction perspective, I guess, I mean. I don't know. It's really hard. I guess it's not necessarily a skill, but I think that I use projections during the drafting process and I track my projections during the tra- the drafting process to make sure that I am, you know, not necessarily, not like religiously, like I'm not, I'm not here. Like I need to do this, but throughout the draft and throughout my drafting early on, as I get approaching the, the, the bigger drafts, I'm very cognizant of like where the pockets of different categories are so that I can be very balanced from a projection standpoint. Um, because I think we oftentimes put a ton of emphasis on individual player analysis, like this guy's going to be really good or this guy's not going to be really good. But, you know, especially with like just the variance that happens within a given year and like the luck that propels some guys forward and the lack of luck that 
bring some guys down. Like I don't necessarily think that's as much as important as building a roster that is capable of withstanding, you know, underperformance, you know, in mm-hmm. certain categories where that's not necessarily going to doom you. Um, so I don't know if that's an actual skill. And no, I think was, a lot of, I think there's a lot of art to that, but like just building, building a roster that is flexible. Balanced players, you, not your Mondesi. really important. I notice you don't well, really. Yeah, yeah, although I really like Mondesi heading into next year, to be honest <laughs> with you. I'm trying to kind of calibrate that with like how I like to build a roster as well. And and to Phil's point, it's kind of like one of these things where it's like, in that case, if you do get a Mondesi, I think you need to be really cognizant of the reason why Mondesi for me is really good is because he's probably going to hit 15 home runs too and not hurt you too badly in batting average. And so that's where the, the power of his stolen bases comes from. So that if I lose him, what I'm really mostly, you know, it's just like, I've got to build a roster that can withstand the loss of him. Maybe not for a full season, but like the thing about him is if he plays half a season, he's still going to get you probably 20, 25 stolen bases, right? Um, and so just just being cognizant of that when you when you draft when I when I do draft him this year. Um, when you say you uh, when you say you, uh, you you track your projections throughout the draft, are you tracking your team or are you tracking all of the teams and how that uh, sort of funnels into your um, just my yeah, team? I don't I don't really I, I honestly don't pay attention to what other people are doing outside of what positions have they drafted. What positions might be like where cool closers off the board, closers are getting closers are getting more scarce. You need to exactly, or like, or okay, I need either a, a catcher or a first baseman here. I'm drafting 12th. I look at who the guys are drafting, you know, between me and this pick versus my next pick are like, do I feel like they're likely to go catcher or force first base more if I think that the guys are fairly equal value, stuff like that. But I really don't care what other people are doing that much. Um, you know, I don't know. Do you do you pay attention to what other people are doing, Phil? No, I don't. Yeah. I'm I'm just I I'm just focused on on my categories. Like you said, if I'm picking 13th or 14, I'll see what the guy picking 15th needs, but that's about it. Um, to go back where you talk about Monty, I like him too this year. The only thing is, when like in a main, um, if you want to get the full benefit of his deals, you have to project him for 50, 60. And then you can't be higher than 85th percentile in steals based on him getting 50 or 60. Then if he gets hurt, then you're you're in trouble. So it's sort of hard to um, get the full benefit of those projected steals um, without um, putting you in trouble if he gets hurt. So it's um, if I was getting Monizy, it would probably be in, in a, like a $150 DC where you project 60 seals, you assume he gets 60, and then you just get 40 or 50 more for your entire team. Um, but in the main, it's tough because, like, Monizy at 35 steals isn't a second-round pick. Um, so you have to get – you have to benefit from all those steals, which is hard in, in his case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think is, is factoring in replacement value as well, well right? So it's like he, if he gets you 35 steals because he only played – a hundred games, you, you do have another shortstop or middle infielder that you can plug in, yeah, that's true. you know, in that particular spot. And you can know that you need to get steals, right? And obviously easier said than done, right? On the waiver wire, getting steals from a particular position that's not necessarily outfield. 
But um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's just something that I've thought a lot about is like, you know, based on where he is going, I don't, where is he going in, in NFBC? I haven't seen it. I know there's only one draft, but where did he go? Done a couple. He's gone like, I've seen him go in the second round, mid-second, and I've seen him go in the mid-third. I don't think I'd draft him in the in the second, but if he were to come around, like let's say I had the, you know, I had the third pick or something like that, or fourth pick or something like that, and I got, you know, like a DeGrom or a Cole to start off with, and then another starting pitcher there, I'd get him in the third round maybe. Um, but I don't think I would, um, I don't think I'd reach for him in the second. Like in my, in my projections right now, I have him as the 11th best hitter at 48 steals. But mm-hmm. yeah, if you project a guy on your team for 48 steals, that's like half the steals you're drafting. So um, you probably don't want to go there. And then if I dump him down to 35 steals, then he's probably around like hitter 25, 30, at which point he's not worth the the early third round mm. so um that that's the tough thing with him um i like him but i don't mm. know yeah i probably you don't, you don't know what to do with him my yeah, spreadsheet tough. has him as the third most valuable uh hitter um i already have i have a bump down in my um in my formulas for the risk of the the stolen base only guys who usually they're worse hitters so playing time is more risky so that's where but i if i just use projections and i have him at like 630 plate appearances um i think he's hitter yeah he's number two so okay um, yeah i'm curious it's all, it's, all, it's it's the risk and then the also the difficulty of building your team around that profile that put that post pump that pushes him down yeah exactly yeah is there anyone else like that um like not necessarily, not necessarily on stolen bases but it could be a pitcher or a hitter that just is so like um i guess um i don't want to say one-dimensional but they're just like the you know what I mean? You know, I think I've, I think I've explained this. I mean, I think it might be cl- be the closest comparison might be like a, a a pitcher who you know has really good skills, you know, who has been like a glass now maybe somebody like that where it's like you know he's well you don't even know glass now is necessarily that good when he pitches but like you know he's going to be really good when he pitches but mm-hmm. there's huge questions around like health or um, like Lame- maybe a Lame- volume that he's gonna that he's gonna provide. Well, I mean, Lamette's got Lamette's got kind of the injury stuff, and right. You know, I think that's a, a a new layer on top of maybe it, but I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. Right. No, it does. Phil, do you have any uh, in mind? Well, from the hitting side, no, because there's no other category where you can get like half of your. Yeah. your <laughs> True. Um, okay. But but like Toby said, with with the pitching, I think if you get two or three young guys, um, who could be great but are risky in terms of innings or injuries it's tough it's tough to build a staff around them because you have to get more but if you get more and they all work out then you're overpaying for pitching so um the balance when you're getting too many young guys with 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 upside um it's it's hard to build you have to, to mix in some some veterans in there it, it was just one guy like glass now isn't too bad but if you're getting a glass now a rears uh guys like that then you get too many of those guys then it's tough to um, it's tough to build a staff, I think. Am, so I, I, am I? Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, just um, I think just based on what you get, what your what your guys' comments are, I think you you guys have both have um, a strategy where you focus on um, allocating draft resources to to getting pitching, be it starters or closers, early, and maybe um, you feel it's maybe worth it to over allocate your draft capital to those pitchers, um, just because you think it's because 
that's so important to get uh, a stud pitcher or two and at least one closer that's going to work out that it's worth it to just um, have a strategy to um, um, focus less on hitting at first and then just build your hitting late in later rounds. Is that true or false? I, I would say generally speaking, I think it's just um, where you invest the draft capital because like the research that I've read shows that like, you know, aces are the most likely to return value. And after you get to a certain point, you're kind of like all the guys are pretty similar, right? Like in terms of their likelihood to return a certain amount of value. And so at a certain point, it doesn't make sense to invest your resources. Maybe it's like the pick 150 to 250 or something like that, because the guy that you're drafting there is fairly comparable to the guy that you're getting, you know, towards the back end of the draft in terms of, you know, um, in terms of what they're likely to return to you in, in that given year, if that makes sense. So that's kind of what informs my general like front end focus on starting pitching. And then maybe I probably don't draft as much pitching in the middle of drafts as most other people do. So it's sort of like diminishing marginal return. It's like an economics lesson. Yes. I've seen that research. I've done similar research. And the other thing we talked about Teoscar earlier, like this year, I had him as my hitter number 93, and he was going in the 300. So when when there's a guy that you like that late, um, and then I had, like, I liked Austin Hayes, Ian Happ, like there's a bunch of hitters that are going after pick, say, 250 um, that I liked in my top 100, 120 hitters. So when you feel confident about those late hitters, say, I'll, well, I don't need the early hitters. I can get balance uh, from hitting if, if those guys work out. So um that's that's sort of where i've it i've i've seen that it it's easier to find late late hitters well not late but say rounds 10 to 20 i think there's good hitters that are that can be and have a pretty good chance of being as good as the ones in in rounds five through ten so um i found last year not to say that i executed um well or as optimally but i found last year like the you can wait on outfielder. I, I found there's a lot of good outfielders yeah. I like between 250 and 300. Pick 350 and 300 that I really liked, and that, and I, like I went into the I think our main event. I didn't take an outfielder until like past pick 200. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had some mains where I think I had one outfielder early, and then at pick 250 I was getting four or five in a row. The the mm-hmm. Richard, the Hernandez, the um who else? Ha, ha, Austin Hayes, Ian Happ, like, uh, those guys. Yeah. yeah, Grisham and Kyle Lewis were the guys that I did well yeah. on this year. And then uh, I had a couple guys that uh, Sam Hilliard killed me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard you talk about him, yeah. I, I, I think, I, I, Hilliard was my most owned player. I think I had him in like 24 leagues. Mm. <laughs> I had him in a couple places too. Yeah, it was disappointing. You, you can't, I mean, the Rockies are just going to Rocky. I spent like 400 bucks on Garrett Hampson when he had that really hot week, you know, because I needed stolen bases in a league, and it was just like, oh, God. Um, and then, um, uh, yeah, I think that point's super important, too, because I think, like, at least with the spreadsheet that I use, too, like, I, there's every year there's very clear values, right? There are guys that are way mispriced based on what the projections that I'm using have and the dollar value versus what they're going in the draft. So like some examples last year, like Marcelo Zuna, right? He was overall like player like 75 or 65 in the spreadsheet and he was going around pick 110. Uh, Eddie Rosario is always going around pick 100 and he was, you know, guy like 80 or 75. Brian Anderson was 
you know, player 150 or something like that, but going past pick 200, you know, so there's always these guys that I think are very clear values that if you've been able to identify who those guys are and you feel pretty confident about going after them, then I think you're able to, um, to make up for that, for that your early spend. I also think that like, and, you know, Phil is one of the few people I think who might agree with me on this is like, is you can also do a lot of good when you get a good catcher. You know, you can make up a lot of the ground that you lose in other positions where there isn't such a such a difference in what they're able to contribute. So I know he had a bunch of JT Realmuto. I had a bunch of JT Realmuto, but I also had like like Wilson Contreras didn't have a good year, but I knew he was going to play a ton because he was going to be the DH a lot. And he had something like 40 runs or something like that from the catcher position, you know, wow. in a not so great know that. season. It's like it was either 36 or 41. I can't exactly remember, but like, but that that is an example, which leads me to my question to Phil, which is in how many leagues next year are you going to have JT Realmuto and Sal Perez as your <laughs> as your two as your two catchers in a two catcher league? Usually, I have my 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 own personal rule where I'm getting like in the first 10 rounds, I'll get the same guys in more than three leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, just in terms of general investment, but yeah, I'm if I'm I'm definitely getting JT and if I'm doing five leagues at least two, if I'm doing six or seven leagues at least in three leagues, because um, I mean I'll have him. Let me see if I can. Um, I I have him as like the 21st best player, and Sal Perez is the 22nd base best player based on their projections. Going into this year. Going into this year, yeah, and Sal Perez is going at what pick one. 10 or something like that 105 uh, yeah around that he, i've seen him go uh it was within the within the first 100 picks a couple times already him and him and but both gone before 100 so far yeah south i have lower but jt is my 40 40th best hitter and i haven't even given him any boost for catching so he's probably going to be around top 10 top 15 mm-hmm. And he's not, I mean, based on drafts so far, he's not going up either. Yeah. I mean, that's the amazing thing, right? He's yeah. just, I don't regardless know. of what he does, he's a catcher. You got, you got guys that, you got, you got guys like me that just refuse to take him that early. Yeah. No, I mean, it's true. Like it's, people just will not draft a catcher that early in drafts. Like they will not do it, which is great. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> well, you, you know what, after, after all, you, you, you've preached so many times, if they're not listening yet, they're not going to listen. So I mean, I most yeah. people listen to me are probably just skipping this podcast because they've already heard me, heard my diatribes <laughs> on every single topic on earth. Remember I don't think not. Yeah, don't don't sell yourself short. They're not, they're not going to miss you on this podcast, the Draft Champions podcast. Come on, it's impossible. <laughs> this is going to get this is gonna, this going to be the most played podcast um, uh, so far this season. I mean, has has there ever been a podcast with this many main event championships from the previous year together on the same podcast? Probably not. I'm guessing you're not probably. even counting mine. Which <laughs> <There you go. laughs> zero. Um, so hey, if you if you just divide them, we still average two each. So yeah, yeah. exactly. Hey, thanks. Thanks for picking up the slack. Pick me up, boys. Um, no problem. All right. So do you want to get into me putting you guys on the spot? Sure. Let's do it. Toby, I thought I thought you were actually going to preempt me because you asked you asked um, Phil how how many leagues he's going to have um, JT Romeo JT Romeo to in, but that's not going to count. I, was, I want you guys to ask each other one question. Do you have a question for? Oh, I already I asked him a question. I know, but I, I, I'm now you gotta ask him another one. Okay, I have to ask him a different one. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh. All things being equal, you said. Well, okay. You said you have four starting pitchers. 
that you really like heading into next year. Yeah. Um, and so that's Cole, Bieber, um, I'm assuming Cole, Bieber, DeGrom, who's the fourth one? Um, I actually You're... take out DeGrom. Um, wow. And the injuries. Um, yeah. The stuff that he's dealt with this year. Yeah. So, I mean, I really thought he was younger than that, but he's going to be 33 next year. Um, and from what I've seen, that's sort of the age where injuries can start popping up for starters. And he had some injuries this year. Uh, I mean, if, if he's pitching in, in spring training and he's fine and looks normal, then pro- I'll, I'll start considering him again. But if I'm drafting right now, um, it's Cole, Bieber, Bauer, and Giolito. That's who I was going to Okay. So no Darvish because of the central penalty? Um, yeah. And um, injuries. Age. Yeah, injuries, age, um, and it was like I guess the last last year was really good. I guess the half season before that, but mm-hmm. um, just all that stuff combined, um, I trust Giolito more, and he's going around the same. Actually, I think he's going after him. Um, Interesting. Cool. But yeah, those four guys I'm really targeting. And Cole's your number one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For me, for Cole, me, Cole, Cole Bieber, Bauer, and Giolito. Cole is so far the number one for me. It's like, there's nothing wrong with him. He's absolutely perfect, right? <laughs> he's, I mean, literally, like, he's, 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 he's on the Yankees. And as much as people crap on, the, on Yankee Stadium, yes, you give up a couple more home runs, but it's actually a pretty good defensive stadium, like, overall, from, like, a run-scored perspective. He's, he's going to have a great offense. Um, he's, like, from an injury perspective... Like, yes, he had Tommy John a while back, but he really hasn't had anything. I don't know if that's my three-year-old who's yelling that to me or whether he's... Could it, be, could be, it could be any of our kids, I guess. It could, it could be, for sure. Okay, well, thank you, Phil. I appreciate your feedback on that. That's really interesting. All right, now I got to think of something. This, this wasn't planned. Um, no. I, I talked about central pitching earlier. What's your thought on that? about were were they better because i think from what i've seen from early adp like in the top like 30 pitchers 30 starters like 15 from the central um yeah what's your thought on that do you think they were good because um the hitting was bad or just because the central pitchers were bad or were were better well you know i was listening to this podcast last week it was this great (laughs) podcast it was um there was this guy named phil dussault on it and um and he was he had done the research already and the analysis about how weak the central division was. And so, um, no, literally, like, I mean, I think what you said in that podcast, just about, you know, how how much better starting pitchers in the central looked was, um, you know, that was uh, that was pretty compelling to me. Um, and so I think it's it makes it more difficult to value them. And I'm and what I generally do is is I. I use projections that are publicly available. So like steamer, ATC, the bat, things like that. And I'll see how they kind of um, factor it in. But I definitely think that it's going to be overrated. And, and the guys that it made me think about more maybe than like a Darvish or a Bauer was like a Woodruff, yeah. you know, where with Woodruff, it, it was like, I didn't like him that much going into last year. And then I look at what he did and I was like, wow, it's just so good. Like I'm willing to pay up for this. But then I start to think, okay, well, how many of the, how many times was he facing the Pirates, right? Like, because what I worried about previously was the strikeout rate, really. 
Um, I like the way the reason that he the, that he doesn't walk guys, but then it's like, well, is this is the strikeout rate boosted too? Like I haven't looked at that. Like, and maybe you factored that into your analysis, but like, how much higher was the strikeout rate for some of those teams versus like the standard team, and how did that impact you know the pitchers in in terms of where they were able to maybe overperform based on expectation, um, you know, or based on you know the skills that they actually showed. So it was um, I think Todd Zolo wrote something about that, too. It's sort of a hot topic because like the only it's a year different than any other because the central only play the central. So the only sample we have are the playoffs, but mm-hmm. such a small sample. Like, do we trust it? Like the what I said, I mean, I bump I bump down the central pitchers, but it's a bit of a guess. Um, but I can see like in the D.C. where you draft all central pitchers and then all central hitters. Um, cause if you think the central pitchers are properly valued, then it means the central hitters face tougher competition all year. So they'd all be undervalued. Like it's one or the mm. other. Um, so it, I, the way I, I sort of did it and I'll probably stick to that and see what happens, but you, so you can't, you can't leave it as is cause it's one or the other. Um, either the pitching was great or the hitting was bad. Um, that, that's sort of, and like the only sample I, we have, like I said, is the playoffs. So we can sort of trust that or not trust that. But you, I think a lot of people are just going to play it as is, but I think it's one or the other. Um, and I can so, see, I can see building a team both ways. If the pitching was that good, how, how good can Louis Robert be? Yeah. Um, is this exactly. is his upside like a first round pick. It could be. Um, I'm, I mean, he, as, as long as his batting average is, is decent, I think he's going to be any improves. He could be super good. Yeah. And I think it's also like one thing I think, I, I think I actually heard you, you saying this last year before the season started, but one thing that's important to note too, is like how being on certain teams impacts guys. So like if you're in the AL central and you're on Cleveland, right. And you don't have to face Bieber and Plesak and Carrasco. Carrasco is a guy who's going later. I don't know where he's going in NFBC, but he's the type of guy that I'd love to have as an SP three, for instance. But like, if you don't have to face those guys, it's also a different, like a kind of a different story. Right. Or if you're, you know, if maybe you're not on the, on the reds or something like that, like you, and you don't have to face those guys, it's different for each team within each division in terms of who they have to face um, and what it means, especially for the hitters, you know, from a hitting perspective. Yeah. Well, there, yeah. There, were, there was, there was a lot of bad hitters in those central divisions. Like you, uh, you got Baez, Bryant, uh, Josh Bell. Um, they, they come to my they come to mind. But again, were they bad because the hit the pitching yeah. was great, yeah. or were they bad? Like, there's no way to know other than than those 14 playoffs games. And but it's, it's also, also such a small sample size that it's yeah. like, or exactly. were they good, and the pitching was good? Or, you know, it's like it's like yeah. you know, for instance, um, with with um, you know, it's like B, it's like Schwarber. Schwarber, you look at Schwarber's profile, and you're really like, there's nothing wrong here, but he hit like 198 because his BABIP was super low. Right. Like yeah. he still had a really high barrel rate, still had a really high like max exit below exit below. He struck out more, but his contact rate was pretty much identical, hit more ground balls, which was definitely problematic. But again, like that type of data over 60 games is not something that I want to factor in tremendously. And so it's also just like, yeah, there's just so many layers, I feel like on top of layers in terms of, you know, and that's why you just got to look at the individual, too, I think. Right. And just try to figure out in their particular instance, like, okay, who did Woodruff face? Like who were the guy, who were the teams that he faced? 
because he also looked badass against the Dodgers in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Like, you know, so um, anyways, it's... Well, like, if you do, if you draft, like, if you like Darvish, if you like Woodruff, um, if you like Carrasco, um, Musgrove, then if all those guys are undervalued or valued properly, then Bell, Schwarber, Baez are tremendous values because next year they're going to face average pitching. So, um, I, I mean, you could build a DC team with 30 guys from the central. Um, and there's probably like my analysis was based on playoffs, but there's probably a 30% it's 50, 50. There's probably 30% chance I'm wrong. So if you build a team that way, there's a 30% chance that it, it could really pay off uh, with mm. guys like Josh Bell, Schwarber, like you said, and so on. There, and there's so many instances of this too, like not just in the central, but like Altuve, for instance, right? Totally sucks during the regular season. If you add on his playoff, play, his playoff stats to what he did in the regular season, like he hit like 375 or something like that, all yeah. of a sudden his batting average is like 260, right? And then you're yeah. not yeah. you're not freaking out about it, right? So yeah. it's just like we forget how how much like for both players, but especially hitters, like their production just comes in bunches. And if they missed one of those bunches this year, they're they're gonna look a lot different than they would in a normal season, you know? Yeah. Well, I I, I looked at that a lot too, and um, to like compartmentalize some of the hitters in terms of like, yeah, not only not only divisions but teams and leagues. Like I looked at like um, I just I just had an interest in the Reds, and I looked I looked at a couple of their players, and and one of the players, for instance, Suarez. I know he had a low batting average this year, but what I did was I looked at his splits. Um, when he was facing the American League and when he was facing the National League. And what I did was I looked at his stats and I did a 600 at-bat pace. I just did the math. And versus um, versus the National League, he had a 61 home run pace with like 155 RBIs and a 266 batting average. Versus the American League, he hit 0. 0.086 and he's on pace for like 34 runs and 42 RBIs, 17 home runs. So like it was terrible, but yeah, yeah it's small sample sizes. And the, the one other example I'll give you is Castellanos. Um, he, um, against the Cardinals, he faced the Cardinals a lot. Like 60, 16% of his at-bats were against the Cardinals. Again, 0.86, um, zero home runs, 34 runs, 34 RBIs across 600 at-bats. But versus all the other teams, he was on a pace of 46 home runs, 115 runs, 105 RBIs, 251. So uh, that just, I guess, proves the point of a small sample size and yeah. um, just looking at different teams. And you don't know, I don't, I don't have a reason for why that is, but it's just interesting to, to look at the, those, um, those splits. For sure. So um, thank you, boys. Thanks. I think we'll, I think we'll call it. I think um, we've, um, gone over the hour and a half that I uh, that I uh, promised so uh, I appreciate I, I appreciate you up late Phil it's not, it's not that late it's, it's the same time here as it is uh, we're Phil it's 9.30 it's, 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 it's not too late oh, I'm staying up for the football game anyway so <laughs> oh yeah that starts soon what's happened so far uh, no idea <laughs> I'll let you guys go and uh, again I really appreciate uh, you guys taking the time to talk and it was a great episode I think uh, I, I learned a ton and um and um, I think we have just as many championships on this episode as Michael Jordan has NBA titles. <laughs> wow. I'll let everyone know where they can find you on Twitter again, or if um, you just want to say goodbye, I'll let you guys uh, see yourselves out. <laughs> but um, go ahead. Yeah, you can find me at PhilDuso27 on Twitter. And uh, thanks for having me. It was awesome.
Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it. Yeah, nope. similarly, uh, at BatFlipCrazy on Twitter. Uh, appreciate um, being on the pod. And, and uh, Zach, we've met before, but it's very nice to meet you. I think this is the first time we met in person. And, and yeah. Phil, it's nice to meet you in person as well. I know we've engaged a lot on Twitter, but it's always nice to uh, to put to put a face to a Twitter handle. Yeah, just stay out of my leagues next year because I think we like a lot. <laughs> okay, sounds sounds good. Sounds good. Phil, I'm totally cool. We were in zero leagues together last time, so yeah. let's keep it that way. All right. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good night. We refuse to be what you wanted us to be. We are what we are. That's the way it's going to be. If you don't know, you can't educate us or no equal opportunity. Talking about my freedom. People freedom and liberty. Yeah, we